0: Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today, I would like to share something slightly different with you. So far, this podcast journey has been very rewarding. I've been able to study topics of interest to me and share my findings with you. I've also been very fortunate to have guests I admire share their experiences and stories with you. Along the way, I have received feedback from you and I'm very grateful for that. A recurring piece of feedback is that some of you want to know a bit more about me and why I do what I do. I gave it some thought, but quite honestly, I couldn't find an elegant way to convey my story. But then I got lucky. An interview I gave in January got published last week. Back then, I was interviewed by Stefan Spencer, who is the host of the Get Yourself Optimized podcast. Stefan is a successful entrepreneur, an internationally recognized search engine optimization expert, and a best-selling author. He is the author of Google Power Search, co-author of Social E-Commerce, and co-author of The Art of SEO, now in its third edition. I met Stefan almost two years ago at an entrepreneurial event here in Lake Nona. We had a conversation and he invited me to his podcast. I was honored and humbled he was interested in my story, so of course I accepted. We had a great conversation. I did not include the entire conversation since I know you prefer shorter content, but I encourage you to check out his webpage, which is listed in the podcast description. There, you will not only find the full video version of our conversation, but also hundreds of other interviews with truly inspiring
1: guests. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Raphael, it's so great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Stefan. So, I would love to first start off with your origin story of how you became interested in up leveling and improving one's life. And, you know, you were in corporate America, probably doing pretty well. So, it must have been some sort of epiphany or transformational shift that took you in a different direction. Could you elaborate? Yeah, absolutely. There was actually a couple of things that all came in sequence
0: that, for lack of a better term, woke me up to having to observe a little bit more what I was doing. So yes, I was doing well in corporate America. I was traveling the world. I had a family with kids, a wonderful wife at the time. And, but I was traveling a lot all over the world. I wasn't very healthy. So there's two events that happened. One of them is a friend of mine gave me a book that was very influential for me. It was a a Synchro Destiny by Deepak Chopra. It pointed out a number of things that I wasn't paying attention. Soon after, I was diagnosed with a heart condition. So you get a book that opens your eyes in certain aspects of your life, and then you get a diagnosis, and you look at your life around, and you look that I was missing a lot from my children's lives. And so I started... I wasn't ready to leave corporate America, but I started looking at other things to potentially do. And as I was looking around, then a third event took place, which is actually, to my surprise, and as a big dagger to my ego, I got laid off after being a top performer. So that, to me, I took that as a sign that I needed to do something different. Up to that point, I've already been looking at what else to do, and I knew I wanted to do something in the field of health in the field of doing better. My father is a physician, still practicing. And my mother was an educator uh, she is retired. And I felt that there was something that could be done within the medical field, within medicine, within helping people prevent disease instead of treating disease. So I started looking at things all the way from ancient wisdom to modern technology. I am an engineer. I like technology. I like science. I am a student of science. I need to see things. I, I don't necessarily want to say that I don't, believe in the unseen but when it comes to taking care of oneself i need to be able to see results so i took those two together uh, talked to people that i trusted and embarked on this journey learning about technologies that can help people be a little bit more resilient to disease and to things that slow us down and that honestly ages
1: so what would be some of the modalities that you work with personally that you recommend to your clients in terms of things that make them resilient to disease that help them tap into ancient wisdom?
0: Yeah. So when I first got involved, there were three modalities. Obviously, nutrition is a big part of who we are and what we can and can't do, right? There's so much information about nutrition that's out there that I didn't want to do something, be another me too. So I didn't Although nutrition is a big part of my life, I didn't focus on that as part of something that I needed to explore as an offering to people around me. So I actually focused on initially three basic modalities. Uh, one of them was our breathing process. You know, when you do the research about how our breathing process works, it is pretty obvious that we don't breathe properly and that we don't oxygenate properly our bodies. We are born very good breathers but over time as we somewhere around the age of four to five when we start going to school and we start sitting around a long time and we start wearing you know tighter and tighter clothes we forget the process of breathing so i got introduced to the technology of hyperbaric oxygen therapy and i was fascinated by the process Obviously, there are modalities within the domain of hyperbarics that are FDA approved, and there are some that are not. There are some that are specific for disease, and there are some that are more for longevity and prevention. And depending on who you talk to, some of the science is proven and or not, right? So I was intrigued by it, so I started trying it on my own. So I have my own hyperbaric oxygen chamber. I use it every day for an hour a day. And I started seeing changes within myself. In addition to that, sauna therapy, infrared sauna therapy, was also something that I was very intrigued by. Sauna therapy has been around for a very long time. You know, the Scandinavians have been using some sort of sauna technology, whether it's from natural sources or not, throughout for quite a bit of time. So I embarked in that, studied, learned, ended up with my own sauna. And use it as part of my daily routine as well for sweat therapy. And the last one was low level light therapy, you know, red and infrared low level light therapy. There's a number of products in the market that are well known. So I started exploring in that and seeing how I can use that to improve areas in my body that have either past injuries or aches and pains. And again, I was doing things in parallel. On one hand, I was studying, I was talking to experts, talking to people, doing my own studying. And then I was using it on myself and taking notes and seeing how I was feeling and how my body was responding to these things. And it was phenomenal. And it's been phenomenal. It's been at least six years that I've been using those three modalities as part of my life. I have a routine every morning that I wake up and I get into a chamber, then I get into The sauna, that's when I listen to all my podcasts and get into my conference calls. And then I use light therapy throughout the day. And then I use breath work also throughout the day. And the results have been, for me, I feel better than I felt. I'm 51 now. I feel better than I felt in a very long time. And I sleep better. And I'm able to do things now that I wasn't able to do in the past 20 years.
1: That's awesome! Well, congratulations. I'm curious to hear what the technology, the brand, uh, the device you're using for the low-level light therapy. What is that?
0: Uh, Right now, I use a product from a company called LS Pro Systems. It just happens to be one that I'm familiar with, and they have a webpage lsprosystems.com. There are many, many others in the market. It is just the one that I acquired a while back and i've just kept it you know and it's basically these pads there are different modalities there are very large systems that you know like juve uh, they're very famous very popular it's, it's a thing that you actually install on a wall and you stand in front of it because the light needs to penetrate the skin so you have to stand in front of it with no clothes and for five ten minutes there are light therapy beds there are companies that do those uh, light therapy beds, elevate health. There's a number of companies out there. I wasn't very interested in bigger system. I was interested in more importable things that I could put on me while I'm driving or while I'm in my zero gravity chair or when I'm, you know, working, you know. So these are more like pads that you can just put underneath, you know, in areas, you know, lower back, you know, around the heart. And once it's in contact with your skin, you immediately feel uh, two things that happen. Blood flow increases in the area and you can feel the blood flow. Increase And if you have some pain, most people report that the pain in the area gets reduced. And that makes a lot of sense because the light therapy, what it does is is part of the process of increasing blood flow, inflammation tends to go down in the area. And when inflammation goes down, all kinds of good things happen. Right? You know, when inflammation goes up, all kinds of bad things happen. So it's an interesting process how the body uses that light, red and
1: infrared, to improve quality of life. Yeah, got it. How long are you in the infrared sauna for each day? 60 minutes. So you're doing an hour in the hyperbaric oxygen chamber and another hour in the sauna. Wow. That's great, yeah.
0: Yeah. I get up really early. I get up between 5:30 and 6 and <laughs> Do you get much sleep? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do. Sometimes I actually fall asleep in the chamber because you lay down, right? So I tend to do my meditation center, so I put my, you know, noise canceling headphones, and I use Sam Harris's meditation app. And I guess the purists will argue that I'm not really doing a lot of meditating if I fall asleep, which is right. But it works in going through the meditation, and when a meditation is over, that's when I'm listening to. Again, I have like a up to two hours of potentially listening to podcasts and or answering emails or. Right, things because you can bring your electronics in these two devices so you can actually have conference calls if you need to. So I don't just sit there, I tend to be somewhat productive while I'm in there. Zoom calls? <laughs> <laughs> no, no Zoom calls. <laughs>
1: uh. Only voice. Only voice. So can you do breath work while inside the hyperbaric oxygen, or that's two very different modalities? You do that once you're out?
0: No, there's nothing that says you can't. In fact, my friend, Charlie Engel, common friend of ours, usually when he's here, he stays with me because he likes to use the chamber and he likes to use the stuff that I have. And he asked me that. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have it. I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. So he goes in there and does his breath work. And I've done it myself too. And I can't say that it works better or less. It just feels good.
1: How did you meet Charlie, by the way? He's an amazing person.
0: I met Charlie through a common friend, Gloria Caulfield here from Tavistock. There was an event. There's an event that happens here every year, the Impact Forum. And he was a speaker at the event. This was before COVID. One of the evening galas where people are mingling and talking, we just started talking. He has an aura about him. Everybody else was all dressed up in suits and ties. And he walks in with his running shoes and his jeans and a t-shirt. And t-shirt. I'm like, I need to talk to this guy. So we started talking. We hit it off. We exchanged phone numbers. And then within a week, I received a signed copy of his book. And we've been friends ever since.
1: Amazing, amazing person. And wow, what a high performer too. The kinds of uh, things that he's accomplished and his process of accomplishment. It's outstanding. I'm going to try and get him on this podcast, so we'll get to hear much more from him directly. But yeah, he's a great human. So do you do any kind of cardio with things like running or cycling or anything like that? I used to do... uh bit
0: of running. What I've gotten into lately is more of tennis, it's something that allows me to move a bit more. Being here in Lake Nona is, is so easy because the USDA is literally two minutes away. I took tennis lessons a while back when my kids were playing tennis just so that I could play with them. And it seemed like it was a good sport, especially singles, where you can get a pretty good workout in a, in a very short amount of time. So I have started jogging again, if I'm not careful, I can hurt my lower back, so I have to take it easy. but tennis is what I've been doing three to four times a week now, and it's what's helping me keep that heart rate up, yeah, no, so it's between those two between jogging and tennis are things I don't do either competitively, right It's just more of a thing to do that helps me with my movement what i what I would say though is one of the things that I do regularly is is to I have a business partner that is a movement specialist and connective tissue specialist that has taught me a lot about how to properly do whatever activity you choose to do. And that's been a a cornerstone in my routine is to unlearn bad habits of how we sit, how our shoulders sit in our pelvis, which is a very ignored bone. A lot of people don't know that the pelvis is supposed to move in multiple axes, Right, that it has actually multiple axes of rotation, and that actually is not just one bone; that it actually opens up. And according to some people, most problems begin with lack of mobility of the pelvis. Because northbound, you have the spine that sits in it, and in southbound, you have the two legs, right, the two femur heads. So I do a fair amount of focus movement therapy that involves a lot of yoga-style moves. Where I open up the pelvis by doing stretches of different kinds, and I find that when you do those, I am actually able to then go on a court or go running and move with a bit more ease with less restriction so I've made that also part of my and in fact that's what I do once I get out of the sauna that I'm hot you know and ready to move is a lot of these I have a routine is about a fifteen twenty minute routine to Get the body to open up, get the joints to open up, get the pelvis to open up, get the chest to open up. And without that, my workouts are not
1: as effective. Yeah, it makes sense. Are you doing a particular kind of breath work process? Do you do anything yoga specific with breath work or do you do kind of the hyperventilating thing or the fire or what's that called when you basically try to get DMT to get produced inside of your brain? and might have a spiritual experience i had curtis thomas on this podcast who's an expert on that and that was great so i'm curious to hear more about that yes and no the breath
0: work that i do regularly is just standard box breathing that i do to slow myself down
1: or to pick myself up so box breathing that would be the same number of seconds for the in breath and then the hold and then for the out breath and then repeat correct but then what i do is is uh, If I'm trying to
0: slow myself down, then the intake is longer than the exhale. If I'm trying to pick myself up, then I reverse that with the holes in between. So the box actually changes shape, if you will. However, I do have an acquaintance here that does cold plunges. They have the tubs with the cold plunges, and I've been fascinated by that. So he's teaching me how to, I've done it twice already in the past couple of weeks, and he was trained with the Wim Hof method. So what he does is you have to take 20 minutes of this type of fire kind of breathing before you begin so that when you go into the ice water, you use that to regulate your temperature and be able to withstand the three, four, however many minutes you can withstand in the cold water. So it's not something that I do every day or every week, but it's part of the routine that you have to do before you get into the cold plunge. So I'm going to do it again this weekend.
1: Yeah, good for Um, you.
0: I've done it just twice. It was awful. (laughs) (laughs) It can be. I tell you what, it's it's especially hard on the feet and the hands, right? But I tell you what, the breathing is essential. You have to get into that breathing mode So those 10, 20 minutes before you get in, in order to be able to then, because you get the body prepped for it, and then you're doing the breath work while you're in the water. So that actually, for me, as I said, without that, I think it will be pretty awful as well for me.
1: Where does the Sam Harris Waking Up app fit into all this? Because I have the app. I pay for it. I never use it. I loved the little stories or meditation stories. I don't know what he calls them. They're not like, here, you're going to breathe in, and here's a visualization or whatever. He's just talking. And one of them was quite profound in particular that Joe Polish, the head of Genius Network, played before one of, or at the beginning of, one of the monthly meetings and what a way to start the meeting. He talked about Sam Harris and the recording talked about death and it was quite profound. It was about six minutes and boy it set a very different tone for that meeting than most. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna subscribe to the app and I never got around to listening to many more of those recordings. But so I'm curious to hear what you're using the Waking Up app for how regularly you use it, what are maybe some epiphanies you've had from using it?
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm a big fan of Sam Harris. I think he's doing some incredible things, not only from the neuroscience point of view, but from also some of this ancient wisdom of meditation and transcendence. I'm a student of those two. I tried a number of different types of meditations before with mantras and with sounds. And I found out that I I wasn't getting what I thought I was supposed to get. And I think that that in itself is a problem because a lot of people go into meditation with an expectation that certain things are supposed to happen. And if I look back in retrospect, I probably could benefit from those other types of meditations now that I've been introduced to, to mindfulness meditation, which is, I mean, obviously Sam is not the only one who who does this, but I found out through him about mindfulness meditation. And to me, that is a process that works best because I can actually take that meditative approach throughout my day-to-day life, not just when I'm trying to meditate. So, for me, for those who are listening that may not know, at least the way I understand it, is is the way that he guides you through meditation is to the process of self-observation. Right? Is this idea that your thoughts are not they're not yours; they're just coming and going through the compass of your mind, and The moment you accept that, that your thoughts are not your thoughts, that you observe them, that your feelings are not your feelings, you observe them, that your emotions are not your emotions, but you instead observe them. It's it's this idea that when you get a cold, you don't become the cold. You are a human experiencing a cold, right? Right. So if you can take that analogy and apply it to thoughts, feelings, emotions, then you can become the third-party observer of the thoughts. So his meditation app, It's very unique because there's a lot of silence. He says something. He guides you through a process of observation, like focus on something in the room or think about someone you love. All of those things are thoughts that are coming and going, right? And inevitably what happens is is your mind wanders into yesterday's meeting or at an argument that you had with somebody, you know, the day before, and then he brings you back in, okay? If your mind wanders, get back and observe this one thought or this one thing that's hanging on the wall, or this one feeling that you have for someone. Mm-hmm. And it is that process of focusing on a thought, falling off the wagon, because that's what the brain's going to do. This idea that of the quieting of the mind, I'm learning that it's an impossibility. You, the, the mind is not meant to be quiet. It's not what it does. It's always going. But it is this process of focus on something. You're going to fall off the wagon, bring yourself back, And then you're going to fall off and bring yourself back. And you keep doing this on and on throughout the meditation. Mm -hmm. I find that for me, I can do that all day. If I can incorporate that into when I'm in a meeting or when I'm in a on the streets or driving, that I tend to not react to the world. I tend to have less buttons for people to push, Mm -hmm. right? I tend to be more present. It's not that the buttons don't get pushed and Of course, you know, we're human, but is this idea of this training of oneself to observe the thought, but not indulge in it or to observe the thought and quantify, is this thought useful to me? Is it something that I can use for good or is it something that is destructive to me? And then through that process, I can then either use it or dismiss it and just watch it. Disappear as it inevitably happens, you know, thoughts come and go. So for me, his app is challenging because it is difficult to get into this mode because we're going, 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 and we're taught by society that we need to be on all the time. But it has taught me how to observe my inner self as a third party. And again, I tend to use a lot of analogies. We tend to be really good at fixing other people's problems because we can see what's happening, right? Well, because we're a third party, we can observe from a distance what's happening. And the meditations that I've learned through Sam, I feel like I'm doing the same with myself. Like I'm putting myself as a third party observer of my thoughts and feelings and emotions, and then be able to not judge them, just observe them and then take them for what they are. They are there for me to either use or to observe them walk away so he has this thing that every day he has the meditation of the day and uh, you can you do it for 10 or 20 minutes so i do the 20 minutes and i put it on and i just follow the guidance but like i said it's challenging because there's a lot of gaps of nothingness (laughs) right he tells you to do something and then there's quiet and then you forget that you're meditating because again the mind goes and does all kinds of weird things but then he brings you back and it's that process of bringing bringing you back bringing you back bringing you back that at least for me it helps me be a less reactive human and a more present human.
1: Mm -hmm. When I was in India on a Platinum Partner trip of Tony Robbins, he brought in some oneness monks. And one of the things they taught that was really profound for me is that you're not your body, you're not your thoughts. You are a receiver of thoughts like an FM tuner. And so if you take that on board, you're much less likely to get triggered or indulge in the thoughts that are not helpful or not kind of of the light because you just recognize that, oh that's not mine and then I send it to the light you know I do that pretty regularly because it's like a hygiene thing a, a spiritual energetic hygiene and thought is not mine a weird envious thought about whatever and I'm just going to send it and wherever it originated from to the light it makes sense,
0: but it's so difficult to implement and to do because we're not trained that way, especially in the Western world. We're taught that we have a self and we're taught that there's this duality of life. And independent of what people, you know, whether you're on one side of the fence or the other side of the fence on that, the ego gets involved and saying, No, these are my thoughts. This is who I am. These are my feelings. I feel this. And it is very difficult for me to when something bad happens, to not fall right into that, right? Because it seems like we're wired to think that way. And through this practice, right, meditation is a practice. It's something that you do every day. It's not something that you get anything out of. It's something that you do in order to deal with the myriad of inputs that are coming at us I tell my close friends and my family, this is not an easy path. (laughs) The moment you start trying to become a little bit more aware, a little bit more conscious, you realize that ignorance is, is a lot more blissful, right? It's a lot easier to just prance around, right? Once you start getting into this process and you start observing yourself and you start observing what happens and you start becoming more cognizant and more conscious and more aware, you cannot unlearn that. Now you're in the path. It's a difficult path. It's a challenging path. It's the red pill. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It is in that challenge. It is in that path that the growth happens. Again, you know, what I like about Samus is that he brings that neuroscience aspect to it with his other okay. work, and that we're living in very difficult times. We, we're living in such difficult times. Our brains are, it took about what, three million years for us to get the brain that we have from our ancestors that when they first started consuming a lot of protein, animal protein, right? And when you look at that timeline, when it was 10,000 years when the agricultural revolution started, okay? And then just the last 50 years, our lives have changed so dramatically. And our brain is not just developing new areas of cognition to deal with new social problems. Our brain is just using the stuff that was developed thousands of years ago To deal with something that is brand new, like social media, bullying, et cetera, et cetera, the pressure of an economy, inflation, recessions, corporate pressures, the workplace, long hours, all this stuff. If you're not taking the time to unplug and observe those thoughts, those feelings, those emotions, those moods, no wonder while mental health is a global problem today, because our brain is not prepared to deal with all of that. It's learning as it goes. I tell my kids I have 3, a 23, 21 and a 19 year old. I tell them, you know, they ask me why are you doing all this? Because it is the only thing I've found, you know, this meaning of you know, the meditation and the routine that I do is the only thing that I've found that allows me to then get out the door and tackle the world without it tackling me. It is the only thing that I've found so far. And I'm prepared to find out tomorrow that it's all wrong and that I have to go and do something else. Fine. I'm ready. Let's do this. Right. It is the only thing so far that I've found this neuroscience merger with ancient wisdom and finding routines that bring the two of them together so that I'm not out there just reacting to every impulse and every input that's inevitably going to come to me. Yeah. Right. And I feel bad. I mean, I, I don't know what we you know. Love your perspective on this. You've been to India. I never had the opportunity, but- I don't subscribe to this idea that the younger generation has it any easier than the oldest. I think actually it's the other way around. The younger folks that are born today with the same brain that our grandparents were born, the exact same brain, they're dealing with problems that our grandparents never had to. They're dealing with social media. They're dealing with this image, this globalization. You know what's happening in Ukraine instantly. You know what's happening in Africa. This amount of stimulus. Yes, and that's all bad news pretty much. Exactly. And the manipulation, right? Our grandparents didn't have to deal with that. Yeah, maybe they worked a lot harder physically because they worked on a farm, you know, or they had jobs that were. But when they got home, it was quiet. Uh There was not this constant fight for your attention. This war to get your attention to look over here. No, no. Look over here. Look over here. This app and TikTok and this and that. The brain can't deal with that elegantly. You know, and it's going to take evolution a while before it catches up on how to do that. So I feel very, very passionately that these things that we're talking about now, the meditation, the giving the body, using tools that give the body resilience or whatever those tools may be, is an absolute necessity in today's world. And it's a necessity for our young people because they don't know what they don't know. And they don't know that they're being manipulated either directly or indirectly by the society that surrounds us.
1: Yes, and the tools that they use on a daily basis. Yeah. Now, something that I think is a very powerful thought experiment, which I'd invite you to try on, is if this world and all of reality is an illusion, not necessarily a simulation created by superhumans like Elon Musk might think, but more like an illusion such as you might learn about in Kabbalah or in Hinduism or Buddhism. In Hinduism, they refer to this illusory world as maya and in buddhism samsara so if that's the case that this is all an illusion the only thing real here is love god and if that is the case then let's take evolution and how long it takes for the brain to evolve like you said could be hundreds of thousands of years before there's a significant change in the way the human brain works well What if you don't have that going on? It's more like a computer program of sorts, but the angels, God, they're manipulating the script to your movie in real time. And if they do that, then they can also put into your movie script or your simulation that this thing looked like it took millions of years to develop. And the book I'm reading that alludes to this is called Kabbalah and the Age of the Universe. And it's by Rabbi Arya Kaplan. And it's fascinating to think that if, and I've had so many glitches in the matrix, that's become very clear to me, at least from my perspective, and I'm not going to try and push my perspective on anyone else, but from my perspective, this is an illusion. And these things that happen to me, they defy Logic and the laws of physics and so forth. They are like the glitch in the Matrix in the movie, where hey, I just saw that scene. <laughs> I just saw that cat uh, do the exact same thing twice. That's really weird. So I'm um, curious to hear your thoughts on that. No, I am open to the idea.
0: So tell you where I'm at. I am on the bandwagon of we are in an illusion in the sense of what neuroscience says. When you look at how our brain works, right? and how our senses get translated into electrical stimuli in the brain. The brain is a very dark place. There's nothing going on. It's not like it sees through the eyes. No, it doesn't see. It's just the eyes take whatever is out there, and it interprets it into electrical signals, and then the brain does its thing. Yeah, the skull is a dark cave. It is a very dark cave. No light gets in there. There's not light in there, right? So the idea is a great book, A Thousand Brains by Jeff Hawkins, that talks about this idea of creating a model of the world. That's what the brain does, right? It creates a model of the world, and then it's constantly updating that model. Well, if that is true, that model is being built directly from the senses that we have as humans. And we have eyes, noses, and ears, and and so forth, right? well, what about the rest of the animal kingdom? They have different senses, right? There are animals that have much better eyes. There are animals that have other senses that we don't have. There are animals that see farther in electromagnetic spectrum of light, right? There are others that hear more, smell more. There are animals like sharks that have an electromagnetic field that they can sense things through electromagnetic. So, When their brains take all that input, it creates a model of the world. Well, that model of the world is very different than our model of the world and the model of the world of dogs and the model of the world of birds, the model of the world of every other living sentient thing. Mm -hmm. So the only thing we can agree is, is that we have one view of what we consider real everything else. And even as you and I, right, as humans, the best thing we can do. This is agree. We can be subjective that the backdrop to where you are is green right now. I see you and I say green. What we because we've been told it taught- won't
1: be in the final video because <laughs> my, my editors will do their magic, <laughs> right? But all we can agree is, is that what we call green,
0: we agree that is green. But how do you define green, right? So when you put all that together, at least it's evident to me that we are in an illusion that is constructed by our brain and that is constantly changing. Now, that that's like the starting point. And then to take it to the level of what you explained, I have discussions with folks about that. And I'm open to that possibility that there is more. Because I think when you start paying attention, you start seeing more of these glitches. Again, if you get trapped by... The hamster wheel of the everyday you gotta work gotta go work out gotta feed the kids gotta take them to the soccer game gotta do this gotta do that what happens is is you don't observe yeah. you cease to be the observer of what's happening mm-hmm. but the moment you get into any kind of these practices whichever they may be and you start observing you start seeing patterns and it is very easy for our mind to say well who's creating the patterns is there something creating these patterns? Am I supposed to be observing? So I'm totally open to the possibility that there's yet another level of illusion beyond the biological, what neuroscience teaches us. It is easy to see that once you start observing, truly observing
1: what's happening around us. Mm -hmm. So I want to read something short to you and I want to get your take on it. It's been profound for me. I've been reading it ever since I got this, which it's a one-page sheet. I got it from Dr. Kirby Hotchner, who was a guest on this podcast, and it just really encapsulates this human experience in a way that's very deep. So I'll read it to you, and then I want to hear what you have to say about it. It is only knowing the truth that will set you free, and the truth is that I is your true identity, and at the center of your being, that I, is God, infinite individuality, and your only reality. This has to be fully accepted and rooted in your consciousness by daily practice and opening to this I of your being to receive its grace. Also and equally important is that everything else you perceive and experience, whether it enters your mind consciously or unconsciously, is a universal mesmerism formed by the world's belief in two powers, good and evil. This occurs from the time of conception, so everything you are told, hear, see, and all that arrives from all the thoughts of the world floods into the mind daily from all those that have ever existed. Universal beliefs like birth, death, disease, evil, poverty, aging, etc., the I that you are is eternal, unchanging, immortal, and is your and everyone else's soul, mind, consciousness, self, life, and the substance of all form. It is God manifesting as individual self infinitely. As we meditate on this daily, accept it, practice it, and live it, it will eventually become our realized awakened state of consciousness, and that will dissolve all sense of separation from God and all the universal hypnotic appearances of the world's beliefs that are constantly bombarding your mind.
0: Well, there's a lot there. Very interesting. I think I struggle a little bit with the concept of I. I'm reading a number of books that are on both sides of that fence of do we have a self or is the self an illusion also as part of the illusion, right? So, and I haven't made up my mind on sometimes I think that the concept of self is an illusion and then sometimes I'm like, well, no, it's not. So there's a lot there that I can agree with, you know, which is if you're in the right point of observation, then all you see is unity, that we are all one. We're all part of the same thing that is observing itself through us. Call it God, universe, or whatever the case may be. It's interesting that the author of that sees that, but uses I very forcefully as an individual,
1: Right. Well, here's what I think he's referring to. And the author of this is it's Joel Goldsmith. Okay. Write that down. So my understanding of what he's referring to by the I is the biblical term I am. The I am is God. Like it goes beyond personality and all the illusion to the infinite. So that's my understanding of it as the I am, if you've heard of that term Mm -hmm. in the biblical sense. And yeah, that's, I'm pretty sure what he's referring to.
0: So then in that sense, I is everything.
1: It's anything that you could describe with adjectives is almost irrelevant because it's so much deeper than that. It is everything. It is everything and nothing. It's indescribable. It is Beyond comprehension.
0: It's just like you know, Dao the Jing, right? The Dao that can be named is not the Dao. I used to be uh, very religious. I'm I'm no longer a religious person. I'm more of a spiritual person. So the concept of God, to me, is like a very very useful tool that is created in our minds in order to be able to explain the
1: unexplainable, right? So let me ask you that: if God to you is more of a concept, a useful framework then do you have experiences or uh, a personal relationship with God where you can kind of hear his voice or experience his unconditional love? Or is it more kind of about esoteric knowledge and not really that personal relationship or experience?
0: No, it is. It is. I do have a personal relationship. It's just not in feelings and passion and living and how that Permeates the other parts of my life. I just don't see it in the structure of the various religions that uh, mankind has created over time. To go back to what you read, Dr. Wayne Dyer. I don't know if, if that name rings a bell, mm-hmm. but you know I, I was a very big fan of his. Still, you know he passed away, but he had a way of explaining things that was just uh, it just clicked. Right? It's, we talk about the eye, and he had an example. It's like if, if you go to the beach and you see the ocean and in all his power and all his majesty. Right? I mean, it's a force. It's powerful and it gives life, right? It gave life to us. You know, we all come from the ocean, et cetera. If I go out to the beach and I take a glass and I take water from the ocean into that glass and then I bring it home and I sit it on the counter, is that the ocean? Well, chemically speaking, yes. You got all the compounds and everything. It's got salt and it's got all the minerals and everything that's in the ocean, but it's not the ocean. Because it's been removed from it and now it doesn't have any other power. It doesn't have any waves. It doesn't have any other life giving capabilities, right? It's been separated from it. And the moment you take it back and you dump it back into the ocean, it regains all the properties life giving and power and strength, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I resonate with the idea of the eye the way you described it the eye as the undescribable eye right? Everything, but also nothing and and anything in between. Because I think that that is where we can truly see through all lenses. That is where our brains no longer dictate that model of reality, because that model of reality is limited. We know that because it's limited by our flesh. It's limited by how our brains are wired, right? You know, the reality I see is different than yours because we have different backgrounds. But when you transcend beyond that, then all you see is everything and nothing all at once. The main reason why I'm no longer like an institutional religious person, because to me, religion has to have four elements. One of them is, is the propagation, the ability to propagate, you know, a process that, you know, people get taught so that it, it lasts time. It has to have a set of rules. Because we needed them because people back then were killing each other senselessly. Not that we're not now, but I think we're a lot better today than we were 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. I mean, it has uh, explanations for why the world is the way it is. Where are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? But it has one more element, which is in my mind the most important one, and it, is the, it has to teach how to transcend, to how to go from where we are and what we see and what we touch and what we feel to that place of what you described as the eye, mm-hmm. Right as the everything.
1: Well, one thing I've learned, because I had very similar perspective about spiritual, I'm spiritual, not religious, and so forth. And Not that I would say I'm religious now, but I'm much more respectful and appreciative of the gifts that are inside of various religions, the wisdom and the tools and the insight. For example, in the book of Isaiah 6-8, Isaiah is at the feet of God and he's saying, here I am, Lord, please send me. And I use that on a regular basis, imagining myself at the feet of God, volunteering to deliver his miracles. And then the most amazing, seemingly unbelievable, if you're a materialist, things come to pass, like one in a trillion chance type situations where I get to deliver God's miracle and makes a life-changing difference for the person. So that's an incredible gift that I was never really a big Bible reader or anything, but that little piece from the book of Isaiah has changed my life.
0: I'm 100 percent in agreement with you. I find beauty, truth and wisdom all the time in the various types of scriptures, whether you know it's the Bible or Hinduism and Buddhism and so forth. There is beauty, truth and wisdom in all. So I can appreciate the potential effect that it can have on people, right? And that potential effect, the positive potential effect that it can have on people. And I also, like you, I have excerpts of the Bible specifically that are in my mind. One of them is in the New Testament, when Jesus says, be in the world, but not of it. And to me, that is the example. I mean, that is right there. That's why I meditate. That's why I do what I do. You know, In the past five years that I've embarked in this journey, six years that I've been embarked in this journey of self-discovery, self-scrutiny, self-evaluation, uh, self-observation, I've met a variety of people that have different walks of life, but that they're all trying to converge into that, becoming more aware, becoming more conscious, be, being less reactive. And I've met some folks that their answer to what's happening inside them and what's happening outside of them is, is I'm going to sell everything. I'm going to go to Bali and live there and then just chant on the beach and dance around, you know, and eat wonderful food, and just completely disconnect from the world. And great, but that's not me. I can't do that. I'm not the guy that's going to go to a top of a mountain, you know, like these monks and just stay there, not talk to anybody. I mean, more power to them. There is a
1: purpose in doing that. That's great. But I need to be in the world. Yeah, we live in a world of action. And if you're just observing without manifesting any of your creativity and your benevolence, you're kind of missing the point, I think.
0: I agree. And again, I don't criticize. If that's what people need, then that's great. But I need to be able to scrutinize myself. I need to be able to evaluate myself. I need to be able to wake up every day, just like you said in the intro, to unlearn, relearn, and learn anew, right? And then take that and use it and hopefully inspire other people to do Not the same, but to find their way, right? To find their path, to find their approach to being less unconscious when less unaware. The more aware we become, then the more that unity manifests itself, right? The more that I that you described becomes evident, self-evident to more people around. And then that's how we get beautiful things done.
1: Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the I am, to contrast that with... The egoic I, I learned this from Gary Ning, Gary, yeah, I think they pronounce it Ning, NG. I met him through Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership. He says there are three types of self. There's the egoic self, there's the observer self, and then there's the higher self. And that helps me to kind of put things in perspective.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I try to keep that in my mind, especially when bad things happen. Something happens, you know, somebody mistreats you or mistreats you in your eyes, right? It's like, well, what part of me is reacting to this stimulus? Am I under attack? Am I in danger? Am I, you know, any of the primal things? No, 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 no. Then why is my heart rate going up? Why am I getting flushed in the face? These are all responses, psychosomatic, biological responses to being under physical attack. But I'm not. So breathe, (laughs) slow down. And take it for what it is, this person who's doing something to you, they have a reality that is just not in agreement with yours, right? They have something going on electrically in the brain, in their brain, and that has nothing to do with you. And this is precisely why I meditate, is to be able to do
1: that in real time without losing it. Another way to look at it is that if this person is in my movie, my simulation, my illusion, there must be a purpose. There must be a reason. Like I'm in earth, I'm on earth school to learn something and to grow and evolve. Why is this person in my movie right now? And I love that question. Such a powerful question. Anytime somebody cuts you off on the freeway or says an unkind word or does something totally bizarre that might trigger you. Why is this in my movie? Yeah. I had a
0: mentor a long time ago. Wonderful man. He died way too young. He was a priest who had happened to be a student of my mother when he was in high school. And then he ended up again by some sort of pattern to become the priest at our parish where we lived in Panama. I'm from Panama originally. And we became good friends. And he, at the time taught me, he trained me so that I could teach catechism. So I can, I was young. I was like 18, but he wanted me to work with young people as a young person myself to work with the young people. And he used to say, when God wants to get your attention, he'll throw a leaf in your head so that you stop what you're doing and pay attention. And if you don't pay attention, you know, then he throws a small pebble. And then if you don't pay attention, then he throws a little bit bigger rock. If you don't pay attention, he'll throw you a brick. And then eventually it's a boulder. And then at some point you're like, Well, why is all this happening? He said, Well, you're not paying attention. You need to pay attention. Turn around, you're going the wrong way, go in this direction. I've been trying to get your attention. And it's like until the lesson is learned. You still repeating the grade right you stay in fifth grade until you pass then you go to sixth grade right and then if you're unwilling to learn sixth grade you're going to stay in sixth grade and you can stay some people stay in sixth grade their entire lives right even in multiple lifetimes right so well, i tell this to my kids sometimes they're young and they're living their lives and i love them and i'm proud of them but they don't like when i get into my rants and start talking about these types of things you know which i understand but I say look You have to go through this process, right? And when you find yourself asking, why is this happening to me? Pay attention to that question. Like really, really pay attention to who's asking the question and why. Because the answer will be self-evident. The reason this is happening to me is because there's something I was supposed to learn from this that I haven't learned. And until I learn it, it's going to continue to happen. It's like relationships where you see people, they walk into a relationship with a person and then things go wrong. And then they go date somebody else, which is a different version of the exact same person they were before. And then they go to the next person. And when you look at all of them, it's like, well, it's really the same person. They're just in different bodies. Well, you obviously didn't learn the lesson. There's something to be learned there through observation. So that the next person you find doesn't have the same characteristics that clash with you. Right. And again, that is at this, you know, we keep coming back to it, you know, and and I think it's a beautiful thing that no matter you, we've gone in different directions in this conversation, but it goes back to that process of self observation, right? And that process of what tools can I use to be a better observer of myself, my inner self, and what's happening
1: around me. Awesome. Well, thank you, Raphael. And thank you, listener. Go out there and reveal some light in the world improve your own vessel, your own health and wellness and happiness. And we'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, have a fantastic week. I'm your host, Stephen Spencer, signing off.